Today, we're talking about hiring manager mistakes and best practices. I can't wait to share it with you. Michael, hit it. Welcome to the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, a show designed for leaders, trainers, and consultants who are responsible for employee selection and professional development. Each episode is packed full with insider tips, best practices, expert interviews, and inspiration. Please welcome the host who is helping leaders, trainers, and consultants everywhere, Susie Price. Hi there, my name is Susie Price, and I am your host of the Wake Up Eager Workforce podcast, where we cover everything related to helping you and the employees in your organizations build a high commitment, low drama, wake up eager workforce. And bottom line in our business at Priceless Professional Development and within this podcast, we share information related to helping you make good decisions about your people, helping you create a wake up eager workforce, help you create a wake up eager life, wake up eager teams, be a wake up eager leader. And the wake up eager is this idea of things are running smoothly. People are in the right place, doing the right things. You're spending your days doing things that are a great match to your strengths. The people on your team are spending their days using their strengths and you just have this higher quality life. And so wake up eager isn't just about I'm happy in the morning. It's that I'm happy about my life because I'm doing the things that help me feel fulfilled and feel on purpose. And that's what we're about in our business. We want you to get the business productivity. We want you to get the personal productivity. We want you to get the business satisfaction. And we want you to get the personal satisfaction. So we, we focus on and provide tools for the entire employee life cycle. And you'll hear today in this episode where we're talking about hiring, and then there's some more discussion about how the same tools are used to help teams communicate, help coach people. And that is what we're very excited about doing. This is episode number 94, and the title is Hiring Manager Mistakes and Best Practices. There's a part one and a part two. And the discussion is with Huff Logue, who is an executive recruiter, and he owns his own business for many, many decades. And what we're going to cover today together is the top mistakes hiring managers make, best practices for interviewers, the benefits of using three sciences. So we talk a bit about DISC, workplace motivators, and acumen, how to use those three sciences, what they are, how you use them in hiring and coaching, and just share some real examples. So if you've thought about using assessments or you're currently using trimetrics, this will be of interest to you. We discuss retention and engagement best practices. And at the end, we have a nice discussion about finding peace and making wise decisions. So you can find the show notes. That's where we have links to everything we discuss, links to to contact our guest, Huff Logue, at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash hiring manager mistakes pricelessprofessional.com forward slash hiring manager mistakes. That's all one word, lowercase. That's where you can get the show notes and all the links. You can also also find this podcast or subscribe to it anytime by going any to any podcast app and typing in Wake Up Eager Workforce. Let me tell you about our guest today. It's Huff Logue, H-U-F-F Logue, L-O-G-U-E. It's just an unusual name, so I want to make sure you're getting who this is and how, how he spells his name. He's been in recruiting and hiring top performers for more than three decades. He's only had five mismatches. 
from using the patented process he uses, and it's the same process that we use in Trimetrics. He uses this process as a full-time executive recruiter, putting people in top seats in organizations. He's worked for $5 million to $5 billion companies like SAP, Oracle, Accenture, as well as hundreds of smaller private equity-backed organizations. Uh, he started two recruiting firms and is currently CEO of ExecuLinks. So, and as I mentioned, he performs executive level retained search and his workplace motto. And we discussed this today is people are hired for what they know, but let go for who they are. So tune in now for this great discussion with Huff. Thank you for being here. Glad to be here. I appreciate it. We're going to jump right in. You are definitely an expert, more than three decades of experience in doing all levels of recruiting, especially at the executive level. Talk about the top mistakes hiring managers make. What do you see? Uh, What's the impact? And what should they do instead? Yeah, great question. And I see this a lot. There are a lot of great executives out there, but when it comes to interviewing, they're not all as equal. And probably one of the biggest mistakes I see is that They do more talking than listening. They do more sharing than getting information and qualifying or quantifying the candidate. And even if they do ask questions, which they will, they will have a tendency to get the kind of basic answers they want or their top two questions they think are great. And then they switch flips and they go, I like this person. They jump into cell mode or they don't continue to qualify. So they don't do a thorough job of qualifying the candidate. That's probably one of the biggest mistakes I see. Yes. Oh my gosh. That is singing to the choir here. We're such on the same page. (laughs) That's why we're friends and we work together all these years or know each other. So they get excited, they get in cell mode. And then what's the impact now? So they've met somebody and just lay it out for people who maybe don't do interviewing all the time. They met somebody, they turn, decide they like them. Then what happens? Well, it turns into the A player they thought they were hiring really as a B or C player because the qualification wasn't done there to the match to the job. And the individual is just a weak performer or is not managed properly, just wasn't a fit. As I say many times, people are typically hired for what they know and they're let go for who they are, which has nothing to do with what's on their resume. And that's why I'm a big proponent of using the assessments in the process, because if you look at any job description, it'll have quantifiable skills. You know, have you worked in this industry? Have you sold to this industry or have you managed this type of operation? And then we're also looking for people that have great time management skills or we have have great personal and communication skills. And I always, when I look at job descriptions and it says great oral and written communications, I'm thinking, well, if you're an orator or a journalist, that'd be great. But for whatever reason, that always gets in the job description, right? So they basically find out that they have someone that uh, is not even a fit for the job. Yeah. And, you know, they don't ask the questions that are going to get to that and they're not measuring it. Talk a little bit about that process. We both use it. Talk a little bit about how that process helps you measure. I call those the intangible skills. And when you used to say, and I think you introduced it to me, hire for background, fire for attitude, or or is kind of what you're saying with the, you know, for who they are. How do you find out who they are? And talk about how this process really reveals that. So before I answer that question, I want to back up to an issue that I think is not being observed enough or aware in what's happening in the actual hiring process. And that is if you start to look for someone with specific knowledge, skills, or experience, or what I call KSEs, that's great. But if you don't know what you're looking for in the role to begin with, 
then how are you going to know even which questions to ask to quantify to see if they fit? And yeah. there's a real problem with job descriptions in the marketplace today. People don't know how to put them together. They uh, need help. And even when they get them put together, they don't follow them clearly. So I do believe there's a huge value in taking time to really understand the role and what it needs to do and uh, what kind of results need to happen. But to get back to answering your question is if you think about the bullet points, it might be on a job description or your checklist. Uh, if you're wanting to look for somebody with specific intangible skills, you can come up with quantifiable questions. I actually use a spreadsheet and a grid. Here's what my client is looking for. Here is acknowledging or experience that might fit into or be a clue as to whether or not they uh, would have that experience. And then third, what is the corresponding question? So if I'm talking about time management, and that's really important, or let's say presentation skills in a position that's customer facing or internal customers, whatever the case may be, if I'm looking for presentation skills and I'm going to look for somebody that has done presentations before, and I can ask the question in the interview, you know, have you done presentations? I can say, sure, I've done lots of presentations. Great. Well, what I want to know is how many presentations do you do a year? How long are your presentations? Who do you present to? Who prepares your presentations? What do you like best about presentations? Where do, what do you like least about presentations? I'm going to dig deeper. And as we use the Trimetrics tool and we come up with the competencies for the job and let's say presentation skills is in the top six. And what's nice about that is it generates a series of questions for you anyway. So if presentation skills are important in the job, then spend time really probing and digging into that. And don't get excited, move on to the next one until you've really dug deeper. It's really going another level. Does that answer the question? Or Yes, yes. And tell a little bit about what Trimetrics is. I talk about it all the time. I want to hear your explanation of it and a little bit about the process. I'm going to make a bold statement. And that bold statement is that Trimetrics can change the entire shareholder value and stock value of a company. Because companies are focused on getting a return, making a profit, and they do this by making a great product and giving it to customers that are very happy and passionate about it. They're more passionate than your competitors about your product. And there's a direct correlation between happy, productive employees and how they interface with the customers in the marketplace. And Getting the customers happy means having very happy, productive employee. We've always seen the Gallup survey that's somewhere around two-thirds or more of employees are not engaged and fully engaged. And so with the trimetrics, again, we go back to people are typically hired for what they know, but it's on the resume. They're let go for who they are. There's not enough quantification of who they are. And the number one reason people come to me from companies is not because they couldn't do the job or didn't do the job. It's because they weren't a fit for their manager, for the culture, and that was just totally missed. And so there's the turnover and all that. And so getting back to answering the trimetrics, what it is, is a patented process that allows the job to speak if the role could tell us what does superior performance look like in this role and how are we going to measure it? And so by doing that 90-minute session uh, with uh, a client and the subject matter experts that can participate in it, these are individuals that are in the job, that have been in the job, that interface with the job, that know what this role has to get done. And so they provide the, the content. We walk away from that 90-minute session with the top six plus or minus results that have to be achieved for superior performance. And here's the beauty. The team is unified. They're clear and they're focused. It removes any biases about, I think they should have this kind of experience. 
experience or this kind of background. And instead, we're all on the same page. And that's important in the interview process because it also sends a message to candidates. These people are unified. They're clear. They're on the same page. Not I heard this from one manager and heard this from another. I'm a little confused about it. They really know who they are. Huge point about the process that gets missed. So let's just put a pin in that and for a minute and highlight it. Huge, huge point about getting the team together to discuss the superior performance attributes, what's needed going through that process is a huge game changer in regard to what the candidate experiences. And it keeps them focused during the interview on the right things. The actual hiring managers focus on the right things. So well said. Okay, keep going. And the the beauty of this is all of the intangibles that are on the job description or they think it's important, someone that shows up on time or that has great people skills or great communicate, all these things. Well, you can spend time trying to quantify that, but unless you're an industrial psychologist, you're probably going to miss it. You might think you're great at gut feel and checking people out, which I think is another hiring mistake. Gut feel is, yeah. is emotion, you know, keep that somewhere else. But you've got this tool that will measure, I mean, we're measuring 55 different attributes and we're able to get at all those intangibles. We're, we're peeling back the onion of this individual and looking that, but we have going back to the job. So we create this benchmark of what superior performance looks like in the job. And now we go out and search for candidates that have the right knowledge, skills, and experience. Because of course, if they're selling financial services to insurance companies or whatever the case may be, you want to get someone that has some knowledge there because of the learning curve that would be there without that experience or knowledge or skills. And so then once we get that, then we give the candidate the concentric assessment that maps to the job benchmark. So we basically overload these two reports together. We create a third report or gap analysis so I can see in advance before I even spend time with them how well they are at presentation skills or how well they are at this. And you know, it's not a panacea, but it's a great tool. And the way I like to describe it, here's an example. There are a lot of tools out there and people use them. I like the Trimetrics tool because I think it goes much deeper than the other tools. And there are a lot of tools out there that I call curb appeal. So let's say, for example, you're going to shop for a house. You put the family in the car, the dog in the car, you go house shopping. You pull up to this house and pull up to the curb and it goes, looks great. You turn to your spouse and you say, let's buy it. Well, that's not what you really do. Instead, you say, well, that looks good. Let's go inside and see what the floor plan looks like. Does it meet our needs? That's another dimension. So now we're looking at another dimension of someone. Then you say, well, you know, let's look at the community and see if this has the right feel and amenities and things that we're looking for. And and that's another dimension. And then you hire an inspector. That's another dimension who comes in and looks at the systems, looks between the walls, underneath the foundation. And now what you have is more information and data that you cannot see in the interview or discern in the interview or guess at the interview. So you're putting yourself through a lot of extra work that you don't have to for all those intangibles. Oh, that's a great analogy. So you just, what you just did in that analogy, if you didn't catch it while you're listening to our wonderful listeners, didn't catch it, is you just describe what Trimetrics takes you through, which is what does the person look like, you know, describes their behavior. What are the motivators as you were going in? What are the attributes? And then the inspection is the comparing it to the benchmark. I mean, that was, that's a great analogy. 
Yeah, I think the one of the things that's important to note here is that there are a lot of good tools out there. If you use some tool versus no tool, that's better than not at all. Uh, the reason I like the trimetrics is because the level of credibility with eight independent surveys associated with the predictability of 91.5% and its ability to predict hiring a superior performer. Again, it's not a tool. It's not a panacea, but it's a really good tool. And so a lot of tools are just curb appeal and they make assumptions about what the inside looks like. They make yeah. assumptions about what the systems are like. Trimetrics is actually measuring all of that. Yeah. And the, I think the magic is what I get have gotten really into. And there's a lot of podcast ep- episodes related to this is that dimension that measures the personal skills that we're talking about, the axiology of the science. For those of you who have heard other podcasts, we talk about that. That's the science that measures what's under the hood. I mean, the magic is and what makes it different. What I've heard people say is that piece plus all the other part and the fact that you can compare it to the job. And then the whole, what you said, the gift of getting the interview team on the same page just by going through the process. Yeah, I think there's a story here about how you and I met. We met at the back of a conference at a table where no one has a name associated where they put people who showed up late or whatever. And uh, so we start talking about this. This is 20 years ago. And we start talking and I go, wow, this is really cool. I'd love to bring this into my search process. And, you know, we started working together in a couple of searches and you had me take the assessment. And I took the assessment and you said, wow, Huff, your behaviors are perfectly aligned with what you do. I can see why you're successful. When I look at your motivators and what drives you and what the job rewards, again, hand and glove fit. When I look at your companies, you actually have higher capacity than, you know, and that's common for CEOs that have to wear multiple hats and be competent in more things than just one. And uh, then you said, however, you're confused about who you are and it's affecting your performance. And I remember sitting at this restaurant, my jaw hit the table. You probably heard that. I said, how does she notice about me? And what you didn't know is at the time I was going through after 18 years of marriage, what was a long separation and a subsequent divorce that I did not want. But if you looked at me externally, so let's say you were trying to hire me at that time and you looked at just my disc or behaviors, you'd have said, Hey, great guy. Love him. He's dynamic. Look at curb him. appeal, <laughs> curb appeal. But yeah. at that time, I was only able to work about an hour a day. I was so dysfunctional. I was distraught because I didn't want a divorce. But it was one of those true dilemmas. If I stayed in it, it was bad. If I left, it was bad. And so now I'm 16 years later, remarried, wonderful wife, great match. You gave her the trimetrics. We're fit. I know that yes, you funny. are. Yeah. And you <laughs> applaud her strengths all the time. I always see that. And they're different from yours. That's the other thing is it happens in personal relationships and on teams is now you can understand the differences in a way. If you talk about diversity, this is diversity of talent, diversity of strengths and acknowledging all the differences. So that's mm-hmm. what you do. Like you had just said, we're going to talk about your top motivation. Your lowest motivator is aesthetic, which is your least interested in the beauty and interest of things. And then Lisa has a pretty high aesthetic. Um, yeah, from- funny example about that. We go down to Callaway Gardens, a place down here south of Atlanta, and I'm rushing to get down there and make it less than two and a half hours. And we pull into the main gate. I'm like, okay, we can get there and get in before the discount ends or whatever it was. And yeah. she's stopping. She goes, do you see those beautiful hours? And I'm like, where? And of course, this is a huge entrance. And it's like, 75 feet long, but nothing but flowers. You, it's bigger than the road. I didn't even see it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. But so then I always see you appreciating her. You know, we're connected on Facebook and it is, and wife is named Lisa. I don't know if I said that, but, you know, appreciating, she's always showing pictures of flowers. And that high aesthetic is this be- interest in beauty. And, and so in the a low aesthetic, doesn't mean you don't like beauty, but it's just not your top priority. Your filter isn't through the lens of something that's beautiful. And you're not too worried about chaos because you're just doing stuff, which like what you represented with the, hey, I got to get down there and I'll see what time is it. And that's part of that utilitarian, which is being really practical. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And if you didn't know I was theoretical and didn't see the books behind me, you'd miss it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And we'll go, we'll drill down on that a little bit, but just couldn't help but catch that as you talked about the differences. So I'm so glad that you're using the tool now with all your clients and just to summarize some of that. What are some of the benefits of this process? We've talked a little bit about them, but I kind of want to capture them. The benefits of using these your services and these tools, how does it all really benefit your clients? What do they say? What's the end result? Yeah, so great question. There's so many benefits, but I'll pick a few that come to mind real quick. First of all, and I think hiring executives and managers need to hear this, is even though they think they know what they want, when they sit in a room and have this, what is starts out as um, a brainstorming session, so everybody gets to kind of put their input into it, and then we have friendly debate and discussion, and then we prioritize, we eliminate, then we prioritize, and we walk away, like I said, with the top six plus or minus results that have to be achieved in the roles of for superior performance, and we've got the metrics associated with how we're going to measure it. And yep. so the common feedback I get from that is because, wow, this was really good. And a lot of times things will come up that they didn't even think about. Or yeah. more importantly, they might realize we thought it was more important that someone was great with presentation skills in this role, but it's really not. It's more important that they're great with analysis and decision making because that's really the core of what we do. Presentation is important. So they kind of flip-flop the priority. So yeah. now they're, they, they've got, you know, that's just an example. The other thing that it does is it gives them the questions they need to ask so they can probe deeper. I mean, it does it for you. So yeah. why not use a tool like that? It's, yeah. it's like a no-brainer. The other thing that it does, it's very important in the process is when candidates take the assessment. Now, it's not a a five minute assessment. It takes 45 minutes or so because it goes deeper. And this is when companies have issues with recruiting, you know, attracting and recruiting and even retention. I'll talk about that in a second. But most of the feedback I get from candidates is, wow, if a company will go through this process they really are trying to get the fit right. And they and, and this is the kind of organization I want because that's one of the top things, especially on the younger generation's top list about is culture. Is this a fit for me? Right. That's a great so, point. Yep. Yeah. So we get that kind that. of feedback. That's yeah. So candidates don't push back on it. They actually well, some of them they do. You have to introduce yeah. it because people are a little intimidated sometimes. So you have to I don't want to say sell it. You just need to introduce it and say, hey, listen, it's an assessment. It's not right or wrong. It's not good or bad. Just answer it from your heart yep. and put the answer down that you want a good fit for you. This is what, And I will give feedback to the candidates on the assessment. And when I do that, 85% of the time is an average. Sometimes it's 90. Sometimes they say 100, not always. It's yeah. rarely below 70% when I say, what percent accurate do you, you've read the report. What percent level of accuracy do you think this reflects who you are? And they yeah. say, oh, right, 85%. So they're yeah. and they're like, how do you know this about me? So that raises the level of confidence and yeah. trust and the effort you're trying to do. So if you've got somebody that's talking to your competitor and they're talking to you and they go through this process, you've already you're head and shoulders above uh, your competition. That's a really good point. 
That's a really so it's, good a, it's a great it's a great recruiting tool also. Yeah. Yes. And then to go back to the what the team does after they've gone through the job, you know, that very first meeting, the benchmarking brainstorming meeting. Have you found that most people say, well, you know, why are we doing this? Do we really have to kind of convince people to do it? And every single time once they because they think, you know, I don't have time for this. We got the job description. Every time they do it, they say, oh, my gosh, that was so helpful. Every time. Yes. So yes. you encounter that and kind of some yeah. resistance on the front end, because if someone is really a, a strong delegator as a CEO, they might say, you guys just do that. That's what I hired you yeah. for. Yeah. And they'll kind of take that attitude. So my approach is this with them. I will say, listen, who's going to be interviewing this candidate? Who must interview this candidate for you guys yeah. to make a decision? And if the CEO, for example, is, and keep in mind for the audience, a lot of my companies are five to $50 million software companies. That's kind of my sweet spot of where I play, but I've worked with much larger companies as well. So keep in mind, we have a lot of access to CEOs as part of this interviewing process. And right. what I'll say is if they're going to be part of the interview process, you have to sit in on the benchmark or we don't do the search. It's yeah. our requirement. So in other words, if you don't want to follow this process, that's fine. We're just not yeah. a fit. And yeah. the reason that's important is because you're qualifying out certain people that will give lip service to, oh, culture is important. And we want to go through a good process. And then I had a client the other day, we did the job benchmark. And I said, here's the information. Let's go over and review it. Make sure it sounds like what your job is and all that. I didn't get a call back for two and a half weeks. Ah. Yeah, And then I said, so did you want to discuss it? And they're like, oh, we talked about it internally a little bit. But yeah. that's not really commitment to the process. Yeah. And what you, it sounds like to me, commitment to the process is the difference maker. Yeah. So those companies that, and what I like is, and if you're fit for this, culture and fit is extremely important to you. And yeah. it's not just lip service. It's not a, a mission statement on the lobby wall when you walk in. Yeah. And it's more fun to work with folks who feel that way too, because mm-hmm. you're in yep. it to help them create that. That's they awesome. get the biggest value out of it. And yeah. of course, we know that some people put too much value on it, <laughs> use it as the, the gospel when it's really, you know, it's a tool, but it's a good it's a balance. Yeah. Well, yeah. We always say less than 30% of the decision. So they got to be looking at everything else too, right. you know, to help people. So that's awesome. Awesome. Anything else you want to say about Trimetrics and using it with clients and hiring. And we're going to go into some a uh, couple of interview basic type things. But before we do that, anything else? Yeah. I, there's something that I want to say that's really not part of some of the basics on the front end is I believe in our world today, and COVID has accelerated a lot of trends that were in place. It just fast forwarded everything. We have, and I remember in uh, Q1 of 22, the most difficult time in the 34 years I've been recruiting, the most difficult time to get response out of candidates, to get candidates to engage in the process, to stay engaged in the process, and not even ghosting. I don't get ghosted much because I'm pretty accurate, but I've been ghosted by people. And so that was the most difficult time. So what we have going on in our world right now is we have to look at the job descriptions and organizations, and we have this issue with people that got to go home during COVID. They loved it. And they don't want to come back to work. They've had a taste of freedom. The cat's out of the bag. And now companies are trying to figure out how do we get people to come back into the office and how do we get them to stay engaged? Well, the world has changed. And so the way we go about job descriptions needs to change. And this is where Trimetrics comes into play in a big way, because there are jobs that require a lot of collaboration and you need to be together. There are a lot of jobs that require a lot of independent solo work. 
And if we look at different disc profiles, for example, there are certain people in the high I's and D's love to be around other people, love to talk, uh, love to interrupt others and mess up their productivity. <laughs> but they're the cheerleaders and they're the positive people and they you know, provide a lot of energy and get things done that way. But there's also people out there that want to be left alone, don't want you sticking your head over the cube and asking them another question. You just want to go to the bathroom and not have a 10-minute conversation on the way. And so there, when you're putting together job descriptions, I think there should also be a couple of considerations. One is how much of the of these things that we need done, how much of that is collaborative work? Who do they need to collaborate with? And how much of it is solo work? Because there's your answer to hybrid work right there. Yeah, oh, people really to come into the office. Yes, asking people to come in the office that are doing mostly solo work. And I be, I'm a believer in face to face. I think that there's a lot of power there. there, and just there's no substitute for face to face. But the question is, how much do you need of that? And you have to take into consideration the in, the personality and the style of the individual that you're hiring. And first of all, you got to start with the job description. If a job description is 80% solo work, they only need to come into the office maybe one day a week. And if they yeah. do, let them come in at 10 o'clock, leave at four. <laughs> you know? Yeah, give some flexibility and, and base it based on what the job needs and who the person is. Right. So yeah. uh, historically, companies were very reluctant to let people even have flex commute times and they wanted them in the office. You know, Being in a seat was a indicator of performance, which it's not, but at least people are here. And I think that the other thing that needs to be taken into consideration is generations. So we have a Gen Z population that started working in 2019. By 2025, it will be 27% of the workforce. These are numbers, give or take a little bit, but you see different stats. So we have this 65 million uh, number of individuals are coming in. They buy differently. They work differently. They value differently than people that are. And I think the boomers are now only 7% of the workforce. And you've got, so the other big groups are the millennials and, and Gen X. And just as we try to segment our market when we're selling products, we have some of these and these and these, we have to segment our candidate and employee marketplace. The companies that can do that are going to be really connecting with their people. Yes. You, you yes. can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. So you can have them come in the office. There's new surveys that large firms I won't mention just come out and here's what's happening. And this is going to happen. Employers are saying, we're going to start forcing people to come back into the office and we're yep. going to offer incentives for them to do so, raises, promotions. And well, that's going to create some legal issues for people at their home saying, well, I don't have the same opportunity. So they're setting themselves up for that. And yeah, it anyway. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's a conundrum conundrum to figure out for corporations, but if they can just go back to what does the job need and who is the person and maybe make decisions based on that, that would be a good starting place. I see. I think that's a great opportunity for you. And we know that a lot of companies are not going to do this, but if we can see companies that will do that, they're going to have a bigger impact on their recruiting and their retention and their performance for people that are happy and engaged. Yes. And the ha and engagement to remind everybody that's a measurement that you can make, but it's the level of involvement and enthusiasm about the work in the workplace. And that does impact culture. And when you're talking about ghosting and how people are ghosting, you know, you've never been ghosted before and, and that's happening now. I mean, some of that has to do with, to me, the job descriptions could be better. So the job descriptions should be 
related to the personality style, like in the verbiage of, you know, that would attract someone, the personality style, the motivators, the things that are measured in trimetrics. So it's not just talking about years of experience, but what is the personality style that we need and and how is the job going to reward someone in this role? And so that when somebody reads it, they're like, that sounds like me. So it's and there's a joke from a long time ago about there was a roofing company and they never could get a, um, let's see if I can remember, they never could get a good receptionist. And the receptionist was important because, or the office manager, because they would direct all the roofing, roofer people and new clients. And it was important part of the business. And so they changed it and they needed somebody really tough because some of the contractors that would come in were kind of tough personalities. And so they listed something like totally assertive, doesn't let people get away with things. They did a whole kind of thing and a guy saw it and he said, Hey, that's my wife. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And she had a real dominant personality. Mm. That's what they needed. You know, they needed somebody who was a real into rules like that. So, so the motivator for that would be traditional regulatory, had a high inner strength. So they weren't easily cowed. So a high sense of self. So they kind of verbalized that in a way that worked in the ad and they of course got somebody and the revolving door stopped because they had a good fit. So that's kind of fun. A bulldog. I think they used it like a bulldog had to be a bulldog or something like that, you know, which describes a certain personality and temperament and that type of thing. So you could get less ghosting if you were more creative in the job descriptions, I think. That's one factor, understanding the generational differences. And even within generations, you can't make stereotype assumptions as a catch-all, even within generations. There are old souls that are 21 years old, okay? And that's, again, why the assessments are so important, because you can really begin to understand how they think, how they operate, what they're really good at, what they're passionate about, what actually turns them off. That's what's great about the motivators is some things can actually turn them off. So I think those are all considerations. Yeah, powerful. Good, great points. Great points. Mm -hmm. Wanted to do a couple of tactic conversations for a minute because we have interview mistakes and you said that number one is not really not talking more than listening. And I see that too. They hear themselves speak, the person says the right thing, and then off they're running to selling on the job. So let's go into a little bit of tactics for a minute. And then there's a couple that we list, so there's nine that we list as interview basics. And this is just like for the first interview. And these are just things that, and they're pretty straightforward and make sense, but I don't think people always follow up. So I'm going to share them. And then I want you to make commentary on them. This is something we share in the, our book, How to Hire Superior Formers. So number one, start and end on time. So that's just showing respect to them, to the candidate and prioritizing that on your schedule. Clarify and explain the overall interview process. Don't allow outside interruptions. Again, it's it's making interviewing a top priority. And then to your point about the biggest mistake, encourage candidate to talk. Candidates should talk 75 to 80% of the time. Maintain eye contact. So you're connecting with the person. Don't be looking everywhere else or look at your phone. Use the candidate's name. So you're connecting with them. Allow silence. A lot of us don't like silence. So allowing them to think and not jumping in with answers for them. And let's see, be pleasant, but response neutral. And that is what we're trying to say there is be warm, but don't cheer them after every answer. And then also don't be real cold and curt because you're trying to scare them. You know, response neutral is pleasant response face. And then my last thing is back to your point is listen aggressively. And that is to the definition, our definition of that is to hear with determination and energetic pursuit, demonstrating a desire to understand. And so that's really an art, that listening aggressively. So what do you like about those? What would you add? What would you change? What are your thoughts? You're truly the expert in this whole process. 
Well, thank you. I don't really consider myself an expert, but I have been doing it for a while and I have seen I've seen a lot. Rather than touching on each one of these, I'm going to come back to about four of them. But okay. generally speaking, I like them. I think they're good. And, you know, my perspective is I'm typically dealing with people that are experienced in the market and they're, they've been on a company or two in their career easily. And so that may not apply to people that are, don't interview as much or have been with the company for a long time. So I think the, the first one I bring up is clarifying, explaining the overall interview process. I think that's really good because candidates are always confused about what the next step is. Yes. Right. And companies are not clear about their process. And we talk about that when we're doing the job benchmark, who's going to interview. And sometimes we'll say, who's going to focus on these questions and who's going to focus on these. You're going to focus on the fit. You're going to focus on the knowledge, skills, and experience. And so if they really get their act together and do that, they can be so much more productive and efficient, save some time. Why wouldn't they do that? So I think that's a really good point. I think the other is don't allow outside interruptions. Well, <laughs> I've got so many stories of candidates that go on interviews and not only were they late, but they're on their phone. I mean, people are glued to this device or something goes off. I think I turned mine off. Let me make sure before I make this profound statement. Yeah. <laughs> but they're, they're distracted. We're in a very distractible world. I, yeah. I had went to meet with this prospective client one time and she was a regional sales manager for a company. And this was the first time I went to meet with her. And I suited up, had the tie on. I'm looking professional. I'm in front of her. And she's got two or three phones on her desk. She's got her pens in her hands. She's doing, and she's just a minute, hang on. And I'm just sitting there oh, patiently. Wow. And I looked at her and I said, I can come back if this is not a good time. I just yes. said it just like that. And she goes, you're right. I'm sorry. She put her phones down and we had a great conversation. I had success with her. She actually came to me as a candidate years later. <laughs> oh, how about that? How about that? But you so, think about that as an interviewer, if you're distracted like that, then you're really not tuning into uh, the person in front of you to make a good decision. And it's so costly. If they make a bad decision, it is expensive in a million different ways. So yeah, yeah I like that you keyed in on that. The, the real key underlying tone here is trust and respect. This is both professionally and personally in relationships you have with your spouse or your friends or in your work environment. And what message are you sending? You know, I've got one client that still sends a limousine to the airport to pick up their candidates Wow! when they fly yeah. in. It's the only one that does it. And that used to be kind of a thing, but they show them the utmost respect. They have an outline schedule. They follow wow. that schedule. And then one of the executives drives them back in their personal car to the airport. Wow. That's right. I placed, placed about 25 people with this company. Anyway, the talk thing That's we've kind of hit, but I want to say something about the talk. And there's really two types of interviews. And this is a tip for people out there trying to figure out what's my interview approach or strategy. So you can take the approach to say, I'm clear about what I want. I know how I'm going to measure it. I know what questions I'm going to ask. And I'm going to go through this process and I'm going to take notes and do that. And But what that feels like, can feel like, is a little bit more like an interrogation, right? Uh, but, yeah. and, and candidates are not, they think they're supposed to tell to sell about themselves. So they're ready to sit there with their hands in their lap like a good boy or girl and say, yes, no, uh-huh. And then that's the interview. It's not really very engaging, but the client can do that. So there's really more. I, I didn't use 75. I use uh, 60, 40, maybe 30, 70. Okay, uh, I like in terms, it. In terms of the ratio. 
Uh, again, we have a lot of clients that talk about the company and all this other stuff, like who cares? Let me find out if the role's yeah. a fit. And if it's fit for me, then yeah, I want to know about the company. And I think their other approach, and here's the tip, and I've done this many times, and it, it can be a good approach for certain interview situations. And that is, let's say I'm interviewing you, Susie, for a job with me. And I would say, Susie, let's do this. What I'd like to do is, rather than ask you a bunch of questions starting off, is I'm going to assume it looks like here in your background, you have the knowledge, skills, and experience. Rather than me going and, and dig into that right now first, what I want to do is I want to share with you as much as I can about this role and what it really needs to accomplish and who it interacts with and what it's like and what a week in the life is like, what a day in the life is like. I want to try to paint a picture for you because you look like an intelligent person and successful. So I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and let you self-qualify yourself for this position. I want you to tell me after I explain it to you, I'd like for you to share with me how you think you fit that role and why that is something of interest to you or not. And so here's what happens. First of all, if I'm a talking hiring manager, I get to do that <laughs> as long as I articulate the things correctly. But secondly, I want to see how that person remembers and applies what they've done to my job. Because yeah. if I hire them, that's what they've got to do. Yeah, right? they do need to hear what the story is. Yeah. So where in there would you have maybe if you had an interview team, maybe that's one person doing that approach and the others digging in on the interpersonal skills or the intangibles? Or would that be the first interview and then the second interview you dig in on the intangibles? Yeah. Let your high eyes explain the position. Let your high C's do the interrogation. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I get what you Yeah. So you want to make sure because I love that approach in regard to because that is how they're going to have to work. They're going to have to hear what's going on and then come back to it and say, what about this? What about that? I'm thinking this, you know, come up with their plan. But I also think that asking the questions and, and listening is so important, too. So that's just interesting. So to move on to the next point, allowing silence. We all struggle with this because we're always trying to fill the space. There is a great selling methodology years ago called strategic selling. It's been around for a while, but most people don't know their second book. It's called conceptual selling. And conceptual selling has a concept in there called golden silence. And golden silence is that time after you make a statement that you just find the period, shut up and see what response you get. Or when someone asks you a question, Let's say Canada asked you a question about something and you just take a moment versus giving, oh, well, we do this, this. And you said, you take a moment. Hmm, you know, it's a really good question. I think the best answer I'd give you would be this, this and this. And that's typically how we handle that. And what it does is it sends a message that I'm really listening to you, which ties in with your last point, listening aggressively. I'm listening. I'm paying attention. I'm not just giving you a quick answer. Yeah, people usually, if you ever mention listening aggressively in a group of leaders in a room, they're all nodding their head like, oh, yeah, that's a really good leadership skill because, <laughs> yeah. OK, I need to tune in. I need to not just wait for you to finish talking and then speaking. And everybody thinks they're a good listener. But, boy, we all, no matter how hard we work on it, could continually work on it. Yeah, that's great. All right. This is the end. Part one of hiring manager mistakes and best practices with Huff Logue. You don't want to miss part two, and you can find the show notes and uh, the link to part two of this episode by going to pricelessprofessional.com forward slash hiring manager mistakes. And in part two, you're not only going to hear more about hiring manager mistakes and best practices, we get into some more personal insights that I, I believe that you will find very valuable. It's examples from his life and things he's learned and the 
applies it to some of the tools that we talk about. So, and you also don't want to miss in part two at the end where I share some of my favorite takeaways from the conversation. I've had people say that they enjoy reading that part as a good summary. So you don't want to miss that. You're going to go to pricelessprofessional.com forward slash hiring manager mistakes to find this episode and to also find the next episode. You can also subscribe to Wake Up Eager Workforce podcast wherever you get your podcast. So type in Wake Up Eager Workforce, search for us and you'll find us. And just a reminder, we talked about this at our last episode, is that we're giving away a workplace motivators assessment. It's about a 24 page report and making available over a hundred development resources. If you leave a review and let us know that you've done that. So you could use this report. It, it reveals what puts gas in your tank, what you're most motivated by, what causes you to take action. It reveals that and you could use it or you could give it to a colleague or an employee or a family member. But if you can leave us a review, we would greatly appreciate it. We'd love for others to be able to find us. If you're not sure how to leave a review, if you go to my website at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash review, we show you how to do that and what the steps are. So reach out to me if you once you do that, and we will send you a link. And to find all of our episodes, go to wakeupeagerworkforce.com, and you'll see our directory. And if you have any questions for me, you can reach out anytime, Susie at pricelessprofessional.com. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. This episode of the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast was brought to you by Priceless Professional Development. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to pricelessprofessional.com to gain access to more professional development resources. 